Instagram makes me feel inadequate. I'm never at any glamorous parties. I don't go on vacation nearly as often as it seems others do. I feel like my outfits, breakfasts, and brunches don't feel worthy of a photo. But Instagram also makes me angry. Research shows that childless women in their 20s out-earn men, and we're more likely to have bachelor degrees too. Why do we, young, smart, capable women, choose to show only one side of the story? It seems like we place so much value in date nights, engagement rings, cat eyes, cupcakes, and waist trainers. But relationships, straight, gay, or queer, are more complex than that. So is Instagram making us all into Betty Draper 2.0, or is this just the illusion of perfection? From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and on today's show, Instagram Insecurities. Catherine Ann Connolly is our assistant producer. We were comparing Instagram feeds the other day at the Refinery29 office, and I pulled her into the studio to get her thoughts on tape. I was on vacation last week, and I was in Colorado, and it was a beautiful view, so I'm posting pictures because I wanted to share that experience. But if we're being completely honest, it's also like, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, look what I'm doing right Right. now. How many likes am I getting on this right now? I wonder if there's a correlation between how good you look on Instagram and how shitty you feel inside. I think there's definitely could be a correlation to that. Because think about it. You're so concerned with showing others how good you look. What are you trying to prove? You know, why do you feel this need to prove to others that you look this good? But then I guess that's what social media is there for, right? Mm. It's not there to to capture, like, the realities of the world. Yeah, because who wants to tune into that? My name is Hannah Seligson. I'm a regular contributor to the New York Times and other publications. And my most recent book is called Mission Adulthood. And it's about the transition to adulthood. I wanted to talk to Hannah because she wrote this awesome article called the hashtag lucky girls lie. And in that article, she says, quote, hashtag lucky girl reflects something deeper in contemporary culture. The pressure young women feel to be effortlessly perfect. You have to have it all together, but you don't let them see you sweat. So I had to ask her, was she seeing the same things in her feed as I was? What you picture is sort of like the cool girls table in high school, for lack of a better metaphor. And so, I don't know, I'm seeing a lot of pictures of like great vacations, wonderful restaurants, you know, fabulous parties, wonderful dresses. I mean, I am having a complex just telling you about it. And I also feel like I'm sort of I have a very conflicted relationship with social media and Instagram. I mean, it's great to share all these moments from your life, but there's no context. And as a journalist, I love context. You know, I like explaining why something is the way it is. And so I feel like every time I take like a great vacation photo or, you know, quote unquote, show how wonderful my life is that I want to be able to like say, no, like five minutes before everything sucked and I was arguing and I had 15 rejections today. And I just, I think that it gives women in particular who are actually the majority of Instagram users a very warped view of reality. So I think that there has historically always been a lot of pressure on women to measure up to some image. And now what's, I think, insidious, dangerous, disturbing is that we have so many different images of what perfection looks like. And they're coming at us a million miles a second and in our feed all of the time. 
Can you talk a little bit about perfection and like women's desire to be perfect? So literally right. taking a picture of what we think is perfection. I think that before there might have been, you know, like let's just use the Betty Draper era as a as an example. There might have been one image of perfection. It was this, you know, homemaker who, you know, had dinner and a pot roast ready and was in full makeup when her husband got home. And now I guess you could say maybe it's liberating. There's so many different concepts of perfection, but I think that that also has created just more pressure in its own way. Is there a one-upmanship there? Female competitiveness, which I think has a very positive side to it, too. I don't think it's bad for women to be competitive, but I think that it just feels to me like everyone is trying to be prettier, richer, better dressed, better this than everyone else. And it feels like everyone's like sort of thumping their chest like, look, I am I am better than you. Like, you think that you went on a great vacation? Like, fuck you. I went on a really good vacation. You think your kids are cute? My kids are cuter. You know, you think, I mean, I could go on and on, but it just like, it, it feels like this very, very competitive cesspool. <laughs> you know, maybe this is like the Freudian in me speaking, but that, that everyone is sort of trying to validate their existence. It kind of becomes like the stiff upper lip that no one talks about these things. Yeah. And if you are portraying that you are perfect or have yeah. the illusion of perfection, right. in some ways, maybe you believe it yourself. Yeah. Or if things are not perfect, do you have an outlet to talk about it? And that's, I think, also the paradox of social media. In some ways, I think it's we're more open and we share more and more. But in on the other hand, we've become more closed. Just want to circle back, like, why do you think that it's typically signs of traditional femininity? Because I think they're also easy to display beauty, domestic prowess, you know, makeup application. You're talking about the cat eye, like there are aspects of female of, of performative femininity to use like an academic -y term that are that are easily displayed. I don't know. It's harder to show how you're doing well at work or these internal qualities that they're just they're they're easy to display and they have historically always been displayed. I think I like joked about warning labels. I don't think that that's really true. And maybe also just like less time on social media. I mean, all these studies show that the more time you one spends on social media, the more depressed people get. Um, you know, trying to like live life outside of of, of these feeds. And I talk about um, Mindy Kaling um, in my Lucky Girl piece, and she has some she's so many great quotes but she talks about how it takes a lot of effort just to look like a normal woman and i think the more that women like mindy kaling and um amy schumer and i think lena dunham does a great job the more we can have real role models who show themselves sort of unairbrushed and being who they are i think that that's helpful although that's also a whole i mean they're also major brands and they have stylists and makeup artists but but i really appreciated that that sort of effort by by Mindy to, to say that, to say, look, hey, it takes a lot of effort just to look normal. And that's totally. true. Can I ask you a follow-up question sure, on that? Sure. Though? Because then the other side of that is like you're a me you're hot mess. Yeah. Right? So it's like almost a glorification of not having your shit together. Is there a middle ground for women to be able to be proud of their achievement, um, but also like not be threatening? Yeah, but I think that, I mean, who cares if you're threatening? What does that even mean to be threatening? And it's hard not to get sucked into that. Envy baiting. Everyone wants everyone else to be jealous of them. And that is twisted.
That envy seems to cause a gap between the reality of relationships and the image, the wedding versus the marriage. Here's Catherine Ann Connolly again. What's that pressure that you hit a certain age and all of a sudden it's like marriage, then babies. And what's that external pressure that's happening? Yeah. And like just in terms of social media and stuff, I see a lot of the girls, you know, a couple years older than me that I went to college with. A lot of them are getting married and are engaged. And then. How old are you? I'm 25. Okay. So now I'm like. What you know, it's kind of right now, it's like that ticking time bomb of like, okay, are we going to move in together? Are we going right. to get married? And then, like, okay, wh- am I way too young for this? What's going on? Like, but do I have to get married? Yeah. We do the we do the hypothetical like what you know my boyfriend and I I'll be like well my wedding I want this and he'll be like well my wedding I want this we're like we definitely have to have an open bar and it's like but what do we have to have in our marriage like you know ten years from now I really want a dress that just has something different that like I haven't seen before dress doesn't give me any sort of wow factor how much how much is this dress thirty four thousand it's under the budget don't you think that this is just the most beautiful dress. I think with this dress, you could see it on a page of a high fashion magazine. I feel like my grandma could have worn this dress. I want to try this one. I want to try this one. Okay. I want to try Very couture. this one. I want to try this one. You may recognize those clips. They're from a popular TV show called Say Yes to the Dress. It's on TLC. The show doesn't focus on the realities of marriage. It focuses on the wedding. And presumably no one wants to watch a show on the realities of marriage anyway, because that's why they're watching TV in the first place. But that's where Molly Guy comes in, sort of. Molly is the creative force behind Stone Fox Bride. They make wedding dresses, and they started the trend of the flower crown. They are worn by celebrities and are featured on the season of Girls. Molly's honesty about marriage and relationships totally changed my perspective. Here's Molly. I was engaged a long time ago in 2002, and this was pre all of this. I mean, there was really no wedding culture around then, aside from the the not version of the wedding. And I used to work. I was an editorial intern at a magazine. I made very little money. Everyone I worked with made very little money. But I noticed that all of my colleagues who were like 22, 23, 24, 25, when they got engaged, would come in with this motherfucking insane size like rock on their finger that probably cost like 30 grand. And all of a sudden, we would all like gather around them and throw them like a party in the conference room with ice cream cake. And then they would go on their honeymoon. And it was sort of like, you know, then we would never hear from them again and like case closed. And I was always wondering like how did that where did that ring come from like that ring costs more money than we're making in a year and that's and I just I was baffled by that and I saw that it became this sort of New York City like young or young like mid to early 20s status symbol that people were sort of like silently flashing at each other so when I started the Instagram account like the first question that I wanted to ask people was like I wanted to take a picture of the ring and basically find out how it got there like who paid for it like what the fuck basically people like a certain kind of ring they like the big blingy shiny crazy ring those are the rings that get the most likes for you for you guys the things that get the most likes for us are the same things that you're saying get that you I don't I mean Carrie Bradshaw kittens cupcakes Carrie Bradshaw, Kittens, Cupcakes. I mean, the 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 likes are is that stuff. Why? Okay. So I had a party this summer. I had a co-branded party with another company. And in order to get a bunch of people to the party, I, create, I served um, these awesomely beautiful cupcakes that 
were created to look like vaginas, the, the beautiful fondant vagina cupcakes. And they were smeared all over Instagram. They were so gorgeous. Now, I don't think that that really, I don't think Instagram was happy about that. I don't think the company that I was doing the party with was happy about that. I think I was, I was probably the only person that was happy about that. Those cupcakes got a lot of likes. So like that, the fact that those cupcakes got a lot of likes doesn't put me in good standing with very many people other than like myself and my friends. And I feel like as a small business owner, I'm constantly having to straddle. Like I started this business very naively and probably like four years ago, I could post something that no one would give a shit about because I had 200 followers that today I would have to be much more careful about. And um, like the truth is I want more followers because it, my company becomes more valuable the more followers I have. And I could post six pictures today of my friend's kitten, of my baby eating mashed turnips this morning, of me in a bubble bath, drinking a cup of tea, or like with my toenails on the floor saying like hashtag blessed or whatever. And I know that that would probably increase my following. I can't like, I can't do that because that's not my style as my three-year-old daughter would say. I suppose like any creative who's also in a position of having to be the person who's in charge of um, creating a revenue stream for their business has to like straddle these sort of opposing ideas. How do you negotiate what your audience wants and what feels right to you? I guess for the most part, I try like as a person who's creating content and who wants to sort of like stand for something to just be like as, as authentic to myself as possible. But I, I, I also am aware of the fact that we have like, a, I have to position myself as a our company is, we have a public company and we do have like sort of a public image. And that, I mean, I don't like, I don't take that lightly. And there's a part of me, I just like screamed out in a fit of disgust at the office before I came over here. Like, what the fuck am I doing selling wedding dresses? Why aren't I teaching creative writing at an inner city charter school, which is what I like moved here to do in the first place. And the truth is like, I don't know, because today this is what I'm doing but it, that doesn't mean that I won't be doing something else in the future like I feel like I don't know it's like a constant negotiation I don't know if that makes sense it's reassuring to hear that everyone's life is messy even when it doesn't look like it from afar Molly creates carefully curated wedding culture but then she also subverts it we opened the showroom on February 7th 2012 and I gave birth to my first daughter in May and I brought her into the showroom in July, and I asked my intern, Adrian, to go to Kmart and get a onesie and stencil fuck weddings on it, and I sent it to my parents. And they, of course, were like, oh, Mo like, not again, Molly, with your silliness. And then I posted it on Facebook. And I started getting comments on my personal Facebook page because people wanted to place orders for it. It was never intended to be, like, a big fuck you at the wedding industry. I thought it was funny I certainly don't want to fuck weddings. I mean, I love weddings and I love love and I stand behind the mission of what they're intended to do, which is bring two people together in the craziness and turbulence of the world that we live in. But um, I certainly do think there's a, we need to reframe how we look at weddings, which is kind of what I meant by that. And why reframe it? What do you see as troublesome? What I find troublesome is the happily ever after idea of a wedding and um it's really like this this you have arrived i think is the subtext to a lot of it like once you partner with another person once you get in the just married car with tin cans tied to the back um you ride off into the sunset and now your life begins now you're whole now you have a kitchen full of appliances now you have a joint bank account presumably you'll have a child soon and like now you're done good work well done like case closed. 
And the truth is being married is very hard work. I mean, joining your life with another person in a legal, binding, marital manner is just as difficult as and as a different kind of binding legal agreement like you might have with a business partner and it requires constant work and constant maintenance and constant growth. So it's strange to me that the word wedding and the word marriage seem to be synonymous in people's heads because the truth is they could not be more different from one another. Because wedding is the party, the celebration of the wedding work that's going like to come. Bubbles and fireworks and fizzy pink drinks and speeches and you know, a blinding kaleidoscope of flashbulbs. And marriage is like dirty laundry and bills and prescriptions and conversations. It's very hard work. Can weddings be feminist? First of all, I like totally stand on top of marriage. And I think that few things could be as like radical in today's like fuckwad of an in internet, crazy social media insanity like few things could be more radical than joining your life with another person's on paper and like committing to true love i, re I really do why 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 is it a rat that's so different than what i came into this conversation thinking it's a proclamation of vulnerability and i think vulnerability is pretty radical i guess maybe we're like we're missing each other here is do i think wedding is weddings are forever or marriage is forever and the answer to that is like absolutely not so i think the i think the radical thing to do if we are, and I, again, I'm not sure what your definition of feminism is versus my definition of feminism, but if we are to take like an honest leap of faith and join our lives with another person and say like, today I stand before you and I want to grow with you and I want you to help me heal and I want to push, you know, essentially like merge our lives and also preserve our autonomy and all of that stuff, then the more radical and feminist thing to do might be to rewrite the vows so that they say, let's take the rose tinted glasses off. Like, let's really look at this partnership for what it is. Like for today, we're committing to one another. And if tomorrow or the next day or the next year, we decide that this doesn't make sense anymore, then we will like end this love like really gracefully and move on with our lives. I think that that's the pro like this idea of the forever. Like I watch Disney movies with my daughter and she now is obsessed with them. They lived happily ever after. Right. That's like the flaw in the system, I think. Like, what is that? Why yeah. I'm not living happily ever after. I'm married. I don't. Re I really don't know anyone who is. Everyone. I mean, I'm just as fucked as I was when I was single. We'll leave you on that note, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Does Instagram make you feel more insecure, or is it just me? Do you feel like there's a gap between life's expectations and the reality of it? Do we glorify things like weddings and rings because we are so fucked either way? So why not enjoy something as simple as a ring? Most importantly, how do you cope with this reality? Tweet me at popcultpirate with the hashtag S-O-L-H. Our show today was produced by me, Elisa Kreisinger, with help from Catherine Ann Connolly for Refinery29. It was edited by Caitlin Pierce, and we recorded with Paul Ruest. Please subscribe to Strong Opinions Loosely Held on iTunes and rate us while you're there. You can find an interview with me about this episode, along with other episodes, and stuff that we left on the cutting room floor at refinery29.com. See you back here next Monday.